Welcome to the all-new Explore podcast from EF Pro Cycling. This year, we will take you to the heart of our men's and women's teams. From the world's biggest races to our backyards and favorite places, we're exploring what motivates and challenges us. We have all taken different paths to the world tour, and we have unique stories to tell. We are racers, teammates, friends, and college grads. We are farmers. We are parents. We are adventurers. Our first episode features two brothers. Lachlan and Gus Morton are both legends of the cycling world in their own rights. Born and raised in Port Macquarie in New South Wales, Australia, Lachlan and Gus spent their childhood chasing each other on dirt bikes and then on road bikes before traveling the world racing for various teams, both together and apart. While they've chosen different paths throughout their lives, the thread that has always connected them is the bike. Gus now creates beautiful films and has a production company with longtime work partner Isaac Carson. From early gone racing films with Rafa to the Thereabouts film series and beyond, Gus has solidified himself as one of the leading video producers in cycling and is producing our exciting new Explorer video series that debuts later this month. And Lachlan? Well, he needs no introduction. From the alt tour to his ride to the Ukrainian border, from his world tour exploits to his off-road adventures, Lachlan has inspired us to see the world around us in a whole new light. So join us on this ride as we explore the world of cycling together. My name is Catherine Ezra, and this is the Explore Podcast. Lachlan Gus, it's great to be chatting with you. How did cycling come about? What was cycling like when you were little kids? Do you want me to take this one, Lucky? Yeah, you get started. I'll come in after you. All right. Yeah. We're not from a cycling family. You know, like it wasn't like mom or dad were were sort of riding at some point in their life and introduced it to us. That way, I think we came to the sport of cycling through motorsport, through motor motorbikes, basically. Our dad was really into motor racing and, and had done a lot of that in his life prior to us coming along and passed that on to Lockie and I from a very young age. And we had motorbikes, like little dirt bikes, you know, from when we were like four years of age. And we would race those around and, and whatever. And I think we just became quite competitive and quite maybe dangerous, I guess, on those. We had a couple of next door neighbor boys who, are, who we grew up with who were our age and they had motorbikes as well. I guess the, the progression for us was sort of to go from motorcycles to, um, to go-karts. And, you know, as we were sort of building towards that at around the age of eight, I think we'd had a few too many close calls, a few too many sort of, you know, minor accidents on the motorcycles that could have been uh, much worse. And so mum and dad decided that we would like take a year off and, and our, our neighbors would go into to go-karting a year before us and then we would come along the following year. So we were sort of separated, I think, just so the competitiveness didn't, you know, sort of lead us to do anything too dangerous. And I was actually talking about this this, this morning, strangely enough, but the way that I remember, you know, the conversation of dad being like, okay, you, you, you know, we're selling the motorcycles, but before we get you go-karts, we're going to have a year off, you know, and a year at age eight or nine, eight, I think we were, is, uh, is a lifetime. And I, I just, you know, remember being like, are you kidding me? Like, this is not fair. And in the way I remember it is I sort of turned around from that conversation and the TV was playing on the Saturday morning 
And uh, there was a commercial for um, the Tour de France that was playing. And it was, you know, all of these epic aerial shots of these guys racing downhill, you know, like flying. And for me, that's what I really loved about riding the, the motorbike was just being able to go fast and just always wanting to go faster. And so I saw that and I thought, well, I have a bike downstairs. They look like they're going fast. You know, they're kind of wearing cool helmets and, and that sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I went downstairs, pulled my old Melbourne star out of from under the house rode it out to the street and and sprinted it as fast as I could down the road and then coasted and kind of tucked in low. And and I remember feeling like I got close to the same sort of feeling that I got on my 50cc motorbike. And I thought, all right, I think I can maybe get the same sort of rush from this potentially. And that's kind of like, that just really straight away became the substitute from there, I don't, I don't really know how it turned into sort of training necessarily. I think it was like, well, you know, there was a hill at the end of, or on the, on the street that we lived on, on the road that we lived on. We sort of lived in farmland. And I think it was like, all right, dad, can we go down to the hill? And so we can, you know, go down it and get more, go faster, I guess. And so we started doing that and then it got a little bit further and a little bit further. And, and then it just progressed to like, well, let's, let's cross over the bridge from sort of the, the little area that we lived in and let's explore more roads. And, and, and we sort of started doing a 15 kilometer loop on a, on a Sunday. And then basically after doing that for a year, and I think Lockie, Lockie can sort of remind me how he came in, but essentially I think he was just with us doing the same thing because we kind of just did everything together. And then a year later, dad was like, all right, do you want to get go-karts or do you want to get racing bikes, you know, road bikes? By that point, I was like, let's get road bikes. You know, I'm into this. And that sort of decision linked us with Graham Sears, who I think Lockie's currently, you know, with uh, back in Port Macquarie where we grew up. And and that began our relationship with Graham, who was our, our first coach. He's an Olympian and, uh, and has really been like a, a really prominent figure in our lives up until this day. So yeah, that just sort of, in, that was probably the the introduction into cycling and more specifically the sport of road cycling and racing yeah i think i just copied what you were doing <laughs> the older older brother at that age like the older brother is just the coolest person in the world so you're just like all right i'm just gonna do what gus is doing and i mean i think i was less devastated about the motor racing diversion than you were because i mean i was um, i was just doing things because you were yeah i mean i think like that was like an introduction. Then we joined the local club through Graham Sears. And club racing in Australia is like very, I don't know, it's a very different racing scene. You kind of go and you have people of all ages and all abilities. And then they have like A through to E, sometimes F grade. And they'll do like a, a handicap race on the weekend where everyone's in one race. And the fastest people start last and the slower people start first, so you all kind of race each other. And then like a criterium on a Tuesday night. And so we would race those races every week. And basically, yeah, you just work your way through the grades. And we're both pretty competitive. I'd say Gus was more competitive than I was initially. Yeah. But we had some ability for it, which I think helps. Like you, you kind of levitate towards or gravitate towards things that you're good at at that age. And then, 
yeah, I think Cezy was a really big motivator or, or like part of that. He really took us under his wing and he had so much experience. He'd ridden the Olympics in Moscow and would organize training rides with us and just basically taught us all about this crazy world of like road cycling that was very like foreign and kind of exotic growing up in Port Macquarie. It's pretty removed from that. So, yeah, I think like we kind of were progressing through, started racing races like outside of the state. And then for me was when we went on a holiday, like a family holiday to Europe and we got to see like a couple of stages of the tour from the side of the road. And like then we kind of were opened up to this whole big world of what professional cycling is and how big of a sport it is outside of Australia. And then we were like glued to the TV every afternoon there watching the stages. And for me, that was like a turning point where I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to be, you know, a rider at the Tour de France. And that kind of set me on that path. And so did you start racing competitively, Lachlan, around this time or maybe after this this trip to Europe? Is that when you started kind of racing competitively at home? No, I, I mean, I started straight away when you went to the club. Like my first introduction to road cycling was a competitive one. It's like you show up at the local club race and race once a week. Like that was you raced before you trained really. So, yeah, I was already racing at a local level and I think probably at a state level maybe, like some smaller races around New South Wales at that point. But then, like, we kind of set targets on, like, all right, let's try and win state titles and national titles and to really start, like, kind of chasing the dream, I guess. And it's a pretty big undertaking in Australia because, like, a close race might be, like, a five-hour drive. So we would spend a lot of time traveling around, going to small races. And, yeah, just, like, basically trying to do all the racing that we could and trying to win everything we could. Um, we started racing on the track as well. And, yeah, it was it was definitely purely competitive, I would say, at that point. Was there ever a sense of competition between the two of you as siblings? It sounded like you had no problem competing against the other riders out there, but did that ever become a personal thing between the two of you? Uh, no, I mean, for me, Gus was always so much better than me. We couldn't really race against each other properly till I was maybe like 16 or 17. And Gus was still just stronger than me. So I don't think we were competitive with each other. I was definitely like always trying to achieve the same things Gus had achieved at the same age. That was like a big driver for me, just for my own like personal validation, I guess. But I don't think we weren't like... No, we weren't competitive against each other. I, I mean, I don't think. What do you reckon, Gus? No, I, yeah, I sort of feel like it was always like about getting to Europe. It was sort of about, it, you know, it was like, let's just be as good as we can and like, let's just train hard and get to Europe because that was sort of like, it, it almost felt like our pursuit was sort of bigger than that, you know, bigger than any kind of like immediate competition that that would arise or that could arise like even really between between almost anyone that you were racing against in Australia because it you know once we traveled to Europe and you saw what the sport was like there 
and and how popular it was, it sort of almost felt like all right, like racing at home was hard, and and is you know Australia's produced some incredible cyclists uh, and and continues to like so the racing is really competitive, but it was almost like when you're in that race and you're and you're, it's like you're all racing to get to Europe. You know, you're all sort of like just trying to to outdo each other because you know you you knew you needed to just to get to the next step. So it sort of always felt a bit like a stepping, at least for me, like it was always like a stepping stone. And if you did well, it was like okay, this is a good barometer. And and I think at that time, like you know, there was it was a really good run for Australian cyclists off the back of like you know Stuart O'Grady and and Brad McGee and and Brownie and you know, and on the track, like Ben Kirsten and, and those those guys, Sean Eady, that they started just, it's seeming, you know, in the Teens Pursuit team, um, Steve Woodridge and all those guys, like it, it really started, like they sort of started, I guess, this wave and, and we watched them and, and, and occasionally we would get to meet them. And so it sort of felt like, oh, like that's what we're trying to do. Like, and, and they were really a foil for for what became you know, the kind of current generation of, of cyclists. So yeah, it just sort of felt like that's where we were all moving towards. Yeah. But I think because there was a dynamic of the two of us in the one house doing the same thing without any intention, we kind of instilled this insane work ethic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we yeah. were just like, I've never trained harder than when I was at that age. <laughs> like we, cause we were just kind of, not outdoing each other, but just like, all right, this is what we do. So it's like, all right, we we get up and we leave at five in the morning and like we train till school and then we train after school and then it just like, you're like, oh, that's just what we do. And I guess because mum and dad have always been like also insane work ethic that we just had this pretty wild little <laughs> situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think like with, with sport, you know, we found – the sport of cycling but for us it was very tangible like okay you put the work in and you get better and and i think at that young age you could really see that you know like you you train a bit harder you sort of try and be a little bit smarter and you could really see those results quite quickly because the you know the the group sizes are smaller you're not racing against teams there's sort of not very much organization and so an individual can achieve a lot and I think that became really a real driver as well. You're like, oh man, I, I did, you know, 300 kilometers this week. Like, what if I did 330? Like, you know, what 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 could I do? And I think that became the the mentality in the household. And so it was it was that it just kept leveling up and leveling up. <laughs> and then yeah, you know, and then and then here we are. <laughs> Well, you, you've both mentioned your household, you've mentioned family trips and just the, these long drives to get all to these races. So clearly your, your parents were very involved. I understand that your, your dad in particular has always been quite close to the two of you and your, and your racing and your cycling experiences. Talk a little bit about, about what it means to have your dad there, to have him in your corner and to have him always really supporting you and, and on your side. Yeah, I mean, that's been huge. I think that's one thing that really enabled us to achieve a lot when we were younger and essentially like achieve our dreams at a pretty young age was the fact that our parents were both 110% behind us. Never like pushing, but definitely enabling us to do, you know, everything we wanted to do within the sport. Like I said, it's a pretty big undertaking in Australia because it's a lot of travel. It's, it's a lot of money. 
But I think like dad started writing when we did and mum started writing and I think it was probably with dad like the first thing we all really bonded over because as like when we were really young, dad was pretty busy, always working and not to say he was like, he was always around but like he was always pretty flat out and it was like the first thing we all kind of took time to do together on a consistent basis and yeah, I don't know, just I'm sure we would have found something else if it wasn't bikes, but it just happened to be bikes. So I think their support just kind of leveled up along with the way we were racing, you know, and all the way to when, you know, we would take month-long trips to Colorado every year to race, which is pretty insane. <laughs> like now I think about it as an adult, trying to pull that off for your kids. Yeah, there's no doubt about their, like, support in us. And, and I think it was not because it was like, I don't know, an athletic pursuit or like they could see an end goal. I think it was just like, they were like, Oh, they're passionate about this. This is what they want to do. So we're going to help them achieve that. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, as somewhat of an adult now thinking about what like their support, but, but not only just for like Lockie and I, when we were coming up, but like, all of a sudden like mum was really hands-on within the local club and dad's such an excitable guy as well that he's like, let's start a team. And so all of a sudden they were sort of rounding up all of these kids from from around the state and around the country and and then taking them off to Colorado for six weeks, like Lockie was saying. And and so there'd be like seven or eight of us in this house and 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 mum and dad would sort of put us in there with Nsizi. And, and then they'd be like, all right, you know, you guys have got to cook, you got to clean, you got to organize your race entries, you got to like run the household and put together the schedule. We'll drive you to and from the races. And, you know, and, and, and here's the budget that you have to live off of. And you've got to do your schoolwork, yada, yada. So, like, they sort of had this, like, a very, once we got really into it, it was like, all right, like, what, you know, who else can we lift up with this? And, like, who else can we bring into this sort of like environment? and help lift up and hopefully lift up as well. And so it just became, yeah, it just became like a, <laughs> like a whole thing. I had this team called the Real Aussie Kids and, and we all had this bright yellow kit and we would like turn up in Colorado and race everyone and you know, we were just little shits. And anyway, so like, yeah, their, their support has, has been, I mean, we're very fortunate and their support has been, has been incredible. And I think that that has made it fun. And it has always allowed us to know that, you know, like if we are to, you know, if we were to walk away like I have done, it doesn't really matter, you know. And I think like knowing that now, like having been allowed that was really just really fortunate and very, very grateful for that. And I think that's, I mean, led to our success, you know, and, and Lockie's success. And I hope that there's sort of some broader benefit, I guess, that can, can come from what we have done as a result of, of our parents. It sounds like you've both at different times taken, taken steps away from cycling or from sort of the, the professional established Peloton. What, what did that decision feel like for you, Gus, when you decided to, to take a break from racing as intensely as seriously? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. The first time, because I've done it a couple of times, but the, the first time I was twenty one, I'd done sort of like a, a half a season or a stint in Europe, and and it just wasn't 
working for me. You know, I just wasn't in the right frame of mind to to do the thing. You know, I guess I felt like I was sort of taking a spot on a team that that you know you see how enthusiastic and 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 having you know worked so hard to get there myself. You got to be a hundred percent, as as everyone knows here. Like if you want to be at that level, you have to be giving everything to it. And and when I wasn't, I sort of recognized that like I wasn't ever going to be as good as I you know could be if I wasn't giving a hundred percent. And I was taking the place of someone else who sort of should be there. And so like it was a tough decision, but at that time and at that age, I just wanted to get away from it. You know, I sort of like yeah, I just I just needed to like distance myself from it because it was who it was completely my identity at at that time like I had let it kind of consume who I was which isn't you know isn't a good state for anybody to be in and so I just needed to like break from that and, and kind of figure out who I was and and you know and that and that meant I really didn't touch my bike when I left the sport at 21 until Lockie was like let's do this ride across Australia in like a month and i and that was that was only the first time that i was finally sort of ready to pick the bike up again and when i did it was such a different experience i mean for one i was going like hunger flat in on like a 45 minute ride but then also too like it, it just it just i sort of felt a little bit more like released from from the pressure that i had sort of put on myself you know years earlier and so yeah so like it i guess to give you the the short answer, it was tough when I first left, but I was lucky that 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 Lockie sort of brought me back in because it all. It, I mean, it essentially, it helped me make peace with the sport and also to like accept that. Hang on, there are other ways to participate in in this sport that aren't just racing or aren't just being the best at racing. Because because I still like to, I'm still competitive, and you know, I haven't raced on a bike in a while, but I'm sure that that's still somewhere in my future but but it just sort of helped me re- like reconcile like hey this like to do this sport it doesn't have to be everything that you are it can just be a part of that and all of a sudden you know it sounds funny saying that now but that was a real epiphany of sorts and that really like allowed me to enjoy cycling again and kind of led to me coming back to the sport to race for a while but in just with such a different mindset so like yeah and i mean obviously now i'm very heavily involved in the sport still you know years after i've stopped racing again and so like you know i'm very fortunate that i was able to have that and and come back to it like that and you know i think anything that you give all of yourself to and it doesn't meet the expectations that you place on on thing yourself that's like challenging particularly when you're at an age where you're just starting to become an adult you're just starting to like think about the future really and and the future that you had sort of held as the be all and end all when it starts to evaporate you can really like it become lost i guess and i think a lot of athletes experience that because not everyone can be a pro and and like it requires not only everything of you but a little bit of luck as well right like and and persistence and and i guess that experience for me of being able to reconcile with the bike, you know, I sort of, and I guess that's what has led to thereabouts in the films that we've done in a way is trying to open up the perception of, hey, like there are other ways to, to do this 
and maybe I was the only one in the room who didn't recognize that. I don't know, but but also too, like the come down and like and the letting go of of certain things like doesn't have to be the end of it, I guess. And so yeah, so that's kind of I guess how that first experience of leaving is sort of manifested into what I'm doing now, and and I guess yeah. I'm curious, Lachlan, what was it that you saw in in Gus, or what was it that made you? say, I, I know that my brother's not been riding for a while. I know he's decided to take a, a step away from the sport, but what was it that made you think I need to get him doing this ride in Australia with me? I need to get him back out on the bike and we need to do this together. What made you think that? Uh, I don't think it was a conscious decision. Like I need to get him back on a bike. I think we used to spend heaps of time together. And then I was living in Europe. He was in Sydney. We just didn't see much of each other. And I was like, I want to catch up like properly and do something different, not just go to Sydney and then, you know, go get pissed for two weeks and then like get back into training, <laughs> you know, like just the normal like off season. I was like, I want to do something new. So, yeah, I think the only thing we really knew how to bond over at that point was riding bikes. So I was like, why don't we just do a really long bike ride and then we can go and see parts of Australia that we hadn't seen and get out into somewhere new on our bikes. There wasn't like a huge amount of thought that went into it, to be honest. Obviously, I hadn't considered the fact that Gus hadn't ridden for so long, really, and that would be like a huge undertaking. But I also know like Gus is a very gifted athlete, and I was like, he'll be fine. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was more just like a way for us to catch up when we were both like a very – different stages of our lives and our lives have drifted apart pretty dramatically and I was at a point where I kind of had tied all my own self-worth and basically my whole identity to racing and then I was like having a realization that that wasn't really necessarily the path I wanted to go down and then kind of picking up the pieces of everything that I'd left on the way to getting there which, like, I would say the main things were just different relationships, you know. And, yeah, relationship with Gus being one. So this seemed like the kind of right way to go about catching up. It was a pretty extreme way to go catch up. But <laughs> that, was, that was what I, yeah, I thought. There wasn't, like, I had no idea what would come out of it. And, I mean, ultimately it changed the course of both of our lives. Because this, this ride became the first thereabouts film, is that right? Yeah, pretty successful little catch-up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just remember thinking, I also love like just, you were like, I don't know, 21 or 20, 22 maybe, were you at that time? Yeah. You were young. I just, 20, I I'm just like, how mature were you at that age? I just remember thinking when you raised the idea, I was at work in the like office and you called me and like that was rare. And you're like, dude, I think we should do this bike ride across the the country. And I just remember thinking it was the most in, like insanely radical idea because at the time, like the only way I knew how to ride a bike was to like train and race. And you just like bring this up. I was kind of like, what on like what on earth would that even look like? And and I think because of that, that's why I was so willing to do it because I just had absolutely no idea like what it would like what it would actually take physically <laughs> um, and yeah anyway so I just yeah I I do distinctly remember that 
just thinking it was just the most radical idea and, and, and just having absolutely no idea actually what it would, what it would take, which I'm glad that that was the case because I probably would have been like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, a case of not knowing how deep you're going to get into something until it's too late. Right. Oh my God. Yeah, that was, that was hard. That was a hard trip physically. <laughs> so at what point though, after, after you made this first Thereabouts film, about the two of you reconnecting and, and you know, finding a bit more of yourselves, at what point did Thereabouts then become a production company because that's a, a massive leap to go from, oh yeah, we're going to do this ride together to, oh, let's make a film about it to, okay, this is now a, a career running this, this company thereabouts. When I left cycling, I went into, I'd studied film at school, film and journalism. And then, and so I finished my degree off and began working in television. And when Lockie actually came to me with this idea, I just started directing the first show that I, that I'd ever, you know, directed it was like a sketch comedy show so like that was very much like kind of what i was doing and so in my mind like it doesn't that sort of i guess doesn't seem that radical <laughs> but but i guess it kind of is i think when i decided to take it more seriously from like a like an and sort of try and do more of these films more regularly was when i finished at the end of 2017 I finished racing. I was with Jelly Belly. I'd been racing in the in the US with Lockie, and and I sort of I I became very sort of taken by the idea of really trying to get people to to rethink about the role of sport in in their lives, you know. And and I think it's very easy at at the top level of of any sport, at the top level of anything, it's very easy to sort of lose perspective. And, you know, I noticed like all of these athletes and, and all of these, these sort of people that were really working hard towards, towards these goals to the point where maybe they were like losing sight a little bit of like what the function of sport sort of is within society. And, and, and for me, that function is something that, that makes the world a better place. You know, it advances society and it's a fine line, like, and it's easy to get lost in that, I think. And so I was sort of like, all right, well, well, racing still really is the prominent sort of point of cycling. But what if we tried to, to shift that? What if like we kind of explored these other, you know, these other ways, like what's the antithesis, I guess, of like racing? And, and so that was when I really began to be like, okay, I'm going to like dedicate myself to trying to make films that speak to that. And I think the first sort of example of that, I guess, was was the Outskirts series of films that I did in, in 2018. And they were like, you know, the, the, the initial premise was to sort of do these unsupported rides where we film from the bike and, and the purpose isn't really even to get to the end of the ride. The purpose is just to stop and to talk to people and to, to really engage with, with the roadside. And it doesn't really matter how far you go and, or anything like that. Like just trying to really make the purpose sort of almost like the opposite of what, of what racing is, which is, is very hyper-focused on being the fastest to the finish and, and really working very hard to, to move it forward to do that and however that dynamic is within a team or whatever. And so that was kind of, yeah, when, when, it began, when I began to do that. And I think to a degree there was like a little bit of, wanting to 
you know, sort of rebel against racing, I guess, for, for lack of a better word, and try and sort of prove that, that, there was an, that there was another way that this could be really popular. And then having, you know, in the experience of then doing that, I've sort of come to see all these various facets of, of competition and racing and how they all sort of fit together. And it's, it's far more complex and sort of interesting. And I think that there are really good examples at, at every level of, of, how it, of how the sport does or how sport does move society forward. And so that's kind of, I guess, what we're doing now, right? We're trying to do now is, is find those little, those stories that, that are exemplary of that and then extracting them sort of or projecting them rather to a larger audience so that you can sort of see inside what can often seem like this sort of inaccessible big beast that, that is World Tour Cycling or, or, you know, I don't know, ultra marathons or Ironman or whatever sort of high elite level endurance sport there is. And, you know, again, like just recognizing, I think that at the heart of all of these things is are just, are just people, you know, kind of like us. And all, you know, like anybody really. And so anyway, just trying to, to get to that, I think, is, is sort of how it became a, a production company in a long-winded way. <laughs> it's interesting that you've both ended up using the sport of cycling, coming from this place of you kind of got into it, you know, out of competition and just to, the, the thrill of seeing what's possible as kids. And you've both taken the tool of the bicycle, but through different venues, Gus, you through film and, and Lachlan, you through the actual act of riding and are using that to ex explore society, to meet people, to share stories. Because Lachlan, with your rides, especially with the, the one ride away that you did last year to the Ukrainian border, you definitely raised awareness. You definitely wanted to, to shine light on the war that was, that was at that point beginning in Ukraine. So Lachlan, how for you is the bike a tool to to connect people? I mean, that's a big question. I think initially my motivations to do rides like outside of competition were purely just to have a new experience on like a very personal level. So I wanted to to go new places and, and meet new people and do it in, I guess, with a, a familiar kind of context, which is cycling for me. And... I just enjoyed that element of it on a very personal level. And then because people supported me in doing that, I was able to just kind of stay true to like the motivations I had in cycling, which were sometimes competition, but more often than not outside of that. And my mission kind of changed, you know, because I had, I'd fallen in love with cycling essentially all over again at the age of 24. And this new outlook I had on cycling had like dramatically improved my my life and I wanted to just share that with as many people as I could. Just basically the pure joy of riding a bike and it seemed like the way I could do that the most was just by going and, and chasing these kind of epic rides that I like doing and filming them and, and, and getting it out there so people could, could see what I was up to and then, you know, hopefully get their own inspiration to, to chase whatever motivations they had with bikes. And I think that kind of evolved. Like my when I rode the Alt Tour and we managed to raise a bunch of money there, again, like that ride initially, I didn't set off on that ride with the intention of raising money. I set off on that ride with the intention of having an epic experience for myself. And 
as a byproduct of that, was able to to raise money and yeah, connect people from all over the world over a bike ride, which like was really it was just cool and super fulfilling in a way that you know I hadn't. It, it just became like a very tangible outcome of like kind of what we were we were talking about, you know, like we've managed to create this community that existed outside of racing and were having a positive impact on society, you know. So that kind of helped me understand I have a platform that enables me to do good in, in the world, even if it's just a little bit. And, you know, that should be at least part of, of my motivation and, and what I'm, I'm trying to do. So the ride to the Ukraine border, that was the first ride I, I did where I actually had zero interest in the route. I mean, I, I still planned out a route that I thought would be most enjoyable, but that ride was like all about basically trying to do something really dumb on my bike that would get like a lot of people engaged just purely because of the scale, just just for a cause. And, you know, that was like the mission. And then unexpectedly the people I met and conversations I had and interactions I had just with different people and different cycling communities all the way from Germany, you know, through Poland until I got to Ukraine was just amazing, you know. I don't think I've met so many amazing and inspirational people on any bike ride I've done before. So I still managed to have that experience for myself and still have the outcome we wanted in in raising money for for a cause that, you know, it seemed like there was nothing else worth doing on a bike that wasn't that at that point. So, yeah, that's kind of how that came about. And that's sort of more like a, I guess, full kind of articulation of what started like a lot of years before. You've both mentioned community. And has it ever felt like a burden or responsibility? Because of course, it's it's a gift. It's this wonderful thing to be part of this community and for people to entrust you with with their stories, whether it's, you know, a chat on a bike or it's being told in front of a camera. But does it ever feel like like a responsibility or an obligation? Has it ever felt burdensome or overwhelming to be entrusted with these people that share these these intimate moments with you? I think the way I've always approached it is I'm trying to put my story out into the the cycling community, not as like I do what I do or follow my path, just more like to raise, I guess, awareness around the fact that it's like you, you don't have to follow any path in bikes. Bikes can be, you know, fun. They can be incredibly serious. They can be really hard. <laughs> they can be, you know, just play. But so I think in that regard, I don't feel like a huge amount of responsibility to any, you know, I mean, I, the only time I've, I've felt that is when someone's trying to, imitate or emulate what you're doing for not for their own reasons then you kind of feel like all right maybe this isn't I don't know maybe I haven't done the right thing here or you know certain situations where we've gone to races that were small and had something unique and then through like the films we've made or whatever have become significantly bigger and then it's shifted and you know that doesn't always make everyone 
within that community happy. So there's definitely been times I've like sort of questioned my role a bit. But I think like for me, um, as long as my my motivations were purely for the enjoyment of writing, then I, I don't feel bad about those things. I don't know. The, the amazing thing about the cycling community is, and I'm much more aware of this now that I'm older and I travel a lot more and I kind of realize like anywhere I go, I've got like a family, you know, it's, it's really wild. You can turn up anywhere and find a group of bike riders to go and show me around and like, you know, go and have amazing conversations and amazing morning on a bike anywhere in the world. And I just struggle to think of like another vessel that you could do that through apart from sport, you know, it's like a community that exists everywhere. So the pros definitely outweigh any any cons. I was I was going to say in terms of on my side of things, like, I mean, it's you know I feel very privileged to be able to tell these stories, and and I have like I have the the real want to, you know, like it's fun for me to do this, and I think in terms of any sort of sense of responsibility, it really only lies from my point of view with doing, you know kind of along the lines of what Lockie said, like doing the right thing by the subject and being honest in the intention. And so like in that regard, it's 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 never ever at any point felt like any sort of a, you know, like any sort of a challenge. It's funny to me. It's funny to me that people have found something in the work that we have done you know, Lockie and, and, and the thereabouts stuff, like, because, you know, like, we're just, you know, I mean, I'm just me. <laughs> and, and so that's sort of that I find that I'll, I'll, I don't know that I'll ever kind of get used to, to maybe that. And so I guess, yeah, from that point of view, like it's, it's, it's just been just such an unexpected thing that really like, you know, the only sense of pressure I, I feel is to just do a good job or try and do a good job, try and make it interesting. And, and so, you know, from that, that point of view, that's, that's a, you know, that's just, that's just trying to be creative, I think. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's just been very lucky to do this. And, and if I could do 10 times this, I would, because I just like making these things because I, in each of these stories, you know, I think that was something that, well, I sort of, what fascinated me initially about film was was just each person, you know, it really came from being at all, of, you know, all these races around the world, you would be at the start line and you would sort of have these or have like very sort of inane conversations with just passers-by. People would be like, what the hell's this? And you're like, it's the bike race. Like, what do you think it is? You know, of course. And they're like, well, how am I going to go get my paper? Like, I can't, they're not letting me cross the street. And I'm like, oh, you, you know, you got to go down around there. And then, and then that would sort of spark a conversation because in, you know, in your mind, you're like, well, this is an important thing. Why doesn't, you know, don't you know about this? And, and then you sort of recognize that, oh yeah, the world is sort of turning around you and all of these things are happening. And each of these people would sort of, that you have these little conversations with sort of provide you with a, a different point of view. And that can be as small as, you know, as that is just sort of recognizing like, oh yeah, the world doesn't revolve around me in this bike race. Or it can be far larger than that, of course. And, and I think that from my point of view is like, all of a sudden it's like, well, there's, there's something to learn from everybody. Like, let's just, let's just make something about everybody, you know, <laughs> it's like, let's go for it. And so that's, yeah, that's kind of my excitement about this. 
about doing what I do is is that everyone has something in there. You know, you you just got to dig it out and find it, and that could be the thing. In the same way that maybe our first films and the things that Lockie are doing now have moved the dial for a lot of people around the world to maybe push themselves a little bit further or make a change that that makes their life better. You know, why can't that be anybody? I also think in terms of like responsibility, regardless of your prominence in a community, everyone has an equal responsibility. No one owns cycling, right? Right. That's, that's always been the one thing that I've tried to push is it's like this, this sport, it's like, it's, it's been, you know, driven by rules and, and I guess has been owned in a way by like a very small group of people. And I, I'd like to think that like no one owns it. We all just participate in it. Yeah. So if you ride your bike in traffic like an idiot, then, you know, you're not giving, you know, you, that's your, your responsibility is to act in a way that you want the whole community to be seen, right? So if you piss off one driver and then that driver gets pissed off at a different cyclist, like you haven't done your bit, right? Or if you go and ride your mountain bike on a a trail that you shouldn't and then because of that, you know, bikes get banned from an area or whatever, like there's so many different ways that we all as cyclists have a responsibility to our community that I don't think the responsibility that we have outweighs that. It shouldn't be diminished. You know, if someone new turns up to a group ride, it's your responsibility to make them feel welcome and and invite them into the sport. So that's like the, I guess it comes back to that. I kind of don't feel like I have a greater responsibility than the next, next cyclist. Yeah, and to add to that too, I think like something that, and I mean, this has been a part of what, change for me when we did that first ride was sort of discovering that there was like you could actually just do it however you wanted you know and somewhere along the way I'd lost that you know we had it as as young kids and then it and then I sort of just fell into this thing where like this is the only way that you can do the sport and this goes for sport in general I think anytime that someone feels intimidated to participate like it's our responsibility to fix that that's like as an industry, that's as as participants, that's as filmmakers, that's as professional athletes. Like, And so I think that's also something, and it's not unique to, to cycling, it's, it's, just, it's all society, I guess. But, but I guess just knowing that, that we are in this, in this world, it's sort of like, all right, okay, this person's not feeling comfortable or like thinking of the, the number of people out there that haven't engaged in the sport because there was some, some barrier and then just trying to work out like, well, why is that barrier there? What actually is that barrier? How can we change that? And I think that's something that, you know, cycling is sort of starting to do. And I think that there are a lot of athletes within this world that are doing a very good job of that at all levels. And, and I think it's like, if there is any platform that we have or that we can give, it's, it's to like, hopefully it's to to tell those type of stories or to uplift and center that narrative because even just you know getting one more person on the bike right like like if one person reaches out and said damn that really like opened this sport up to me like then that's a success and not to kind of get too sort of sappy about this but if you think about it in that way it's less of a burden and it's less of a barrier i think for us in the sport 
because I think there is something about thinking, well, man, how the hell are we going to change this thing? Like it's, it's so old and you, and you know, and I'm, I'm, as we all are, like we're tired of having conversations about, oh, the sport's broken and it can't be fixed and yada, yada, yada. But like what, I mean, what does that mean? If each of us just go and get one more person on the bike, is that not, is that not a solution irrespective of what the system's doing? And I think that critical mass eventually will exist and, and it will continue to evolve and evolve and there will be more of us riding and, and this world will continue to become hopefully more free and open and interconnected. And I think that's something, Lockie, that you've done very well. And I don't know if I've ever sort of said this, but like crossing that line, like bringing the world tour to like in this sort of unreachable world to, to a lot of people and making it sort of far more tangible for them. And then vice versa, as a result of that uplifting all these other sort of subsets of the sport that for a lot of people they may have never known were there. And all of a sudden they see it and like, you know what? Racing this criterium on Tuesday nights isn't for me. I want to go bikepacking. And vice versa, you know, like alley cat riders and bikepackers who become top level professional cyclists, like that's very cool. And I think that's a new thing. And that's also really important. So within the world of cycling, talking to each other and not sort of being like, oh, I don't understand that. So like, you know, go away. But being like, all right, I'm intimidated by this. It's a little bit confronting, but let's get involved in it and see what it's about. Do you feel, because you both talk a lot about making the sport accessible, making it inclusive and just getting people into cycling, whether they're actually on a bike, whether they're watching this film that then inspires conversations. But do you feel like, like with this community that you talk about, that you're part of, that you contribute to, have you come full circle? Is this sort of your way of doing the same thing that your parents did by by when they created that team of getting more kids to ride, of of taking, you know, this team across Australia and beyond? Do you feel like this is sort of your way of having this community, your way of doing almost the same thing that your parents did in terms of in terms of getting everyone involved, in terms of just making everything, making the sport, making cycling, making relationships accessible, open, and just on offer and available to anyone who's who's interested and curious? Um, I, I mean, I, I guess I never thought about it like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, never. <laughs> I think the spot I'm in still currently within cycling, I would say my own like interests still probably take the forefront you know that's still just part of who I am I am still racing bikes and I would love to be able to do more and hopefully at a certain stage we'll get to that level where my sole you know ambition is to just create more participation in cycling I think like I'm kind of lucky now that that's become a byproduct of me chasing my own ambitions in a way so I don't think I've fully closed the circle yet, but, you know, that's that's the dream, isn't it? Being in a position where you have enough access and enough like, well, you just have the opportunity that you, you can create opportunities for others. That would be the ultimate goal. But, yeah, I think there's still a few little selfish things that I have, tendencies that I haven't got there yet. Yeah, I would I would echo that, I think big shoes to fill I think there's to that point like I can't deny that I that I like making films 
and I enjoy when people enjoy them, you know, irrespective of the subject. The subject's obviously part of it, but just from a purely selfish standpoint. <laughs> so like, yeah, I, I, I would agree like, you know, what I do, my involvement in, in all of this, like is by no means selfless. To Lockie's point, it is, it, it's very fortunate that there is a positive byproduct of that. And I, you know, again, to echo Lockie, like, do hope that that there is a point in you know the not too distant future where we're in a position to to do that very hands-on selfless work that that so many people do like the people who run local clubs that like calculate the handicaps that like make sure that the club insurance is paid so that the people can ride on the on the circuit and that like they're closing the roads and they're getting permission from the council and all of that stuff for nothing and nobody knows who they are. And that is, you know, aside from their, their club, like those are the people I think that, that are genuinely like doing it purely for love. And I think that there's, I mean, there's a scale thing to all of this as well. And I think maybe at the moment, the way that, or the way that where we are at is, is we're sort of, you know, talking to the whole world essentially from where we are and there are benefits to that. There is, there is the ability to, to reach a lot of people with your voice and, and, and with the, your images, but you know, you're not really like, like reaching out and, and sort of touching these, these lives in a very direct way. And so I would love for that to happen at some point, you know, in my life at least. So, yeah, so I think there is sort of, I think at the moment right now, this is, I guess, the platform that, we, that we've been gifted and, and so using it in this way is, is what we're doing right now and, and that's sort of serving multiple, <laughs> multiple purposes, both selfish and, and beyond. But I think, yeah, ideally one day there would, it would be nice to have, to have sort of faded from memory from the larger cycling zeitgeist and, and kind of just be the old croaky guy who's cranky and complaining but he always shows up and 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 puts the cones out on a tuesday night and make sure that you know everyone's got their right handicap and and that racing runs as it should at you know port macquarie <laughs> local clear so yeah there is i think to Lockie's point like we're not quite there yet there's still some there's still some shoe left to fill i think that's fair enough i suppose I mean, we're we're also here now just because all these decades ago, the the two of you were riding bikes together, and I know, guess you're based in LA, Lachlan. You are based either on a bike or on an airport on your way to your next adventure, kind of thing. So, when's the last time that the two of you actually got to ride your bikes together? Oh, oh, damn! Well, <laughs> uh, Was it the Christmas before the? Could we ride in LA this year? No. No, we didn't get a chance. Gosh, man, this is going back a while. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm trying older, to think. Remember, a couple of years ago, remember when you were on that on your touring route? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like around Christmas right. time, like two years ago. And you had yeah. that big rack on and the huge tire. Yeah, the big two point six inch tires, and I went hunger flat in like a forty minute ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. A couple of years ago. Yeah, I think. I, yeah. Or oh, no, no. Remember, we were doing those e-bike rides where I'd ride the oh, e-bike, yeah. Yeah, and you would bad. ride the and you would ride the mountain bike. Yeah, yeah. That was last summer. Yeah, that was yeah. sweet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was sick. So I would, I got, I've got mum and dad have e-mountain bikes, and I would charge mine, charge one up, 
and then Lockie would just ride his regular bike and we would go and do these massive like ridiculous loops i would never have been able to do it when i was when i was racing and we'd just go until the battery runs out on the on the e-bike which is usually like after about six hours or something and but we'd make sure we just keep going uphill and so then when it finally runs out we would just turn around and i could just go downhill home (laughs) so yeah that would have been the last time but we should rectify that I, i ride i ride every now and then you know yeah, I got, I got another big trip planning in uh, right across Australia in November. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You'd be right into it. Yeah, it's going to be significantly yep. harder than last time. <laughs> I know, I know. I've seen the route. <laughs> Gus, clear your calendar. You're heading to Australia in November. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, exactly. I won't say no. All right. Well, I think I think we can wrap it up there for today. Thanks, Lachlan. Thanks, Gus. Really appreciate chatting with you. It's been super, super interesting and definitely learned a lot and got a lot to think about. Thanks. No worries. Thank you. That was great. It was fun. You just listened to the Explore podcast from EF Pro Cycling. My name is Catherine Ezra. This show was produced by Johannes Manson, Angus Morton, and Matthew Bowden. Editing by Ben Crannell. Music is by Builders T. We'll be back for more soon with more stories from the road. Thank you for listening.